In our message at this time, we want to consider some things that the Apostle Paul said unto the church, which is at Corinth. First off, we want you to note in the first epistle, chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul writing unto them says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So we can readily conclude that the church at Corinth was truly a New Testament church, for it was the church of God. However, the church was carnal. But let us not look too critically upon that church. For it is, I believe, evidenced that every New Testament church has at least three kinds of members in it. First, and thank God, they have some saved people in their membership who love God and who are endeavoring to serve Him with all of their heart. And then, too, they have some saved people who are carnal, who are slothful, and are not serving the Lord that bought them. And then thirdly and sadly, there are as a rule some people in every New Testament church who are as yet unsaved and are walking according to the lust of the flesh. Our Lord said through the Apostle John unto the Laodicean church, He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The Laodicean church had retrogressed to an extremely dangerous point. That is, the entire membership had become lukewarm. Lukewarm simply means lacking in conviction, half-hearted, apathetic, and such a state is utterly disgusting unto Christ. And thus it is, he says, unto the Laodicean church, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is metaphoric language, and in present-day vernacular, it would read on this wise, I will rid thee of myself, for you are a bad taste in my mouth. I will take away your candlestick. That is, I will remove the institutional indwelling of the Spirit in the Laodicean church, and will leave you to guide your own way. Oh, how fearful such a thought is. Beloved, have we not at times erred and tried to pass the blame on to someone else, or even on to the devil? Well, the Corinthian church was in a carnal state, and the Laodicean church was in a worse shape. They were lukewarm. Yet both churches at the time of the writings of the, the apostles, Paul and John, unto these respective churches, they were yet New Testament churches. But let us not, when we err, when we sin, let us not try and blame the devil, and certainly not God, for our sinning. For we read in the Scripture, in James 1, 14 and 15, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I would like for you to note in that Scripture, it is not the devil, and certainly not God, which leads us unto sin, but it is our own particular and personal lust that leads us to sin against God. Paul says to the church at Galatia, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, This I say, then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and, there are, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do those things that ye would. Then too, again in James, chapter 4, and verse 5, do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Beloved, 
being redeemed by the wonderful, precious grace of God, doth not rid us of our old nature. It is still with us. And the devil works through that old nature to tempt us and to cause us to sin against God. But we can take comfort in knowing that the Spirit of God which dwelleth in us as individuals is greater than he that is in the world. Thank God that Christ came to this earth and redeemed His people from their sins so as now they can rely and trust Him and be sure that their journey will be completed and they will stand one day acceptably in the presence of God. Now the Corinthian church had not yet reached this fearful law. They had not in their entire membership become lukewarm. But it appears from Paul's letters to the church that they were in deep and serious spiritual trouble. He says unto them, Ye are carnal. That is an awesome indictment. The charge reads, Ye are worldly. That is to say, the world is my enemy, and you have allied yourself with them that hate me. Beloved, can you not see that the Corinthian church was in deep spiritual trouble? And as a rule, most people in spiritual trouble like this, even a church, know it not. It is possible for a New Testament church to sink to this deplorable state and yet think they are doing God's service. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? The Corinthian church was replete with doctrinal heresy and sins, moral sins, of the baser sort. Let me mention quickly a few of their heresies. They were in error as to the resurrection. Then, too, they were in error as to the memorial supper, the Lord's Supper. There were divisions there, and they were, they were observing the Lord's Supper as they pretended with full meals. Then they were in error on baptism for they were baptizing for the dead. They were in error as to the headship of the church and as to a woman's place in the church. Then, too, there were sins of the flesh. There was drunkenness. That, even at the Lord's Supper, there were fornication, envy, strife, division, etc., etc. Yet they were, yet they were a New Testament church. The Lord had not yet removed His candlestick from the Corinthian church. Remember that we started our message with this very verse of Scripture, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. But for sure, they were far from being an ideal or model church. Let us note, they were only four years old in the Lord, and therefore an ecclesiastical babe in Christ. Paul had spent 18 months among them teaching the Word of God. Paul told the Corinthian church that they could learn much from the evil example of Israel. He mentions some of the Israelites' failings, 1 Corinthians 10, and says, For these things many of them were destroyed by, this, by the destroyer. And he told the Corinthian church, Because of your heresy and because of your moral transgression, there are many of you sick, many feeble, and many sleep. That is, many have died as a result of their sin. Now we must ask ourselves, while Paul admonished the church at Corinth to take some lessons from the failures of Israel, can we not, as a New Testament church today, look at the Corinthian church and learn much about that church and how not to follow them in their evil doings? In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, we read, 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Let me read that again. Beloved, God will make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Thank God for His providential grace, whereby He provides escape ways for His people. Simply, Paul is saying, where sin abounded, know this, know this, dear Corinthians, God's grace doeth much more abound. Beloved Pharisees, per se, have long ear passed from the scenes of time, but Phariseeism yet abounds in churches who go even by the name of Baptist. There is a righteousness we need to remember which God hates, and that is self-righteousness, which is a synonym for Phariseeism. The Corinthian church has long ceased to exist, but she has many contemporary counterparts going by the name Baptist. The Corinthian church was spiritually infantile, but they accepted reproof, and many of their errors were corrected, as is evidenced by their excluding of the fornicator from their church membership. 1 Corinthians 5, 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Have you heard the word antinomian? I assume that you've heard it many times and from various sources. The term means one who holds under the gospel dispensation the moral law is of no use or obligation because faith alone is necessary to salvation. Beloved, this is grievous era and great truth all in one breath. It is true. Faith alone is used of God to save His people. And amen. Then, too, the moral law is of no use or obligation. Now, beloved, that is destructive era. The moral law, the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments is the eternal law of God, not to commend us to the saving favor of God, but to bring us as humble children in servitude unto Him. Christ did not do away with the moral law, that is, the Ten Commandments, but He reinforced them in His life as recorded in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, before a person could be condemned for sin, he had to actually commit that sin or be active in it. Then in, New, in the New Testament, our Lord reinforced the law, the Ten Commandments. Beloved, under the law, as I said, it was an action. Under the New Testament, under grace, it is simply an attitude. Our Lord said, If a man looketh upon a woman and lusteth after her in his heart, he hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. Yet, though it was not actual, he was guilty of it because he lusted after her. First Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. As I said, the Corinthian church was yet a New Testament church. They were yet the temple of God. They were indwelt by the blessed, sovereign Holy Spirit. They were a church of God. Certainly this verse of Scripture, 3, 16 and 17, 1 Corinthians, can have a secondary application to the body, to the physiological person. But, beloved, it first referred to the church of God. Again, I mentioned the term antinomian. Antinomianism simply teaches there is no sin but a spiritual sin or a doctrinal sin. Stealing, lying, 
homosexuality, fornication, adultery, murder, child molestation, etc., etc., are not considered sin. Oh, how sad. Brethren, these things are an abomination unto our thrice holy God. Such God-debasing error is to be loudly and consistently protested and condemned. But we need to examine ourselves first, making sure that we are not lukewarm, that we are not carnal towards such awful sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Brethren, the question is not so much, are we antinomian? But the question is, to what degree are we antinomian? Oft times, oft times, inaction bespeaks and betrays our profession. The Bible tells us, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So inaction, a lack of protesting against antinomianism, is a sin in itself. A Christian glorifies God when his life is equal to his profession. Beloved, our heart and our feet should be coordinated. And then and then only will our life bring glory and honor unto Christ. We as Christians should never be satisfied with anything less than the perfect image of Christ. So it behooves us to every day emulate our Lord in our life. Note, if you would, the Corinthian church, they were weak in doctrine. Paul could not feed them with meat because they were. it was necessary for him to feed them with milk because they were as yet weak Christians. Let us not, though, rest in the letter that is in doctrine alone, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit is life. So it is. Let us not be hearers only, but doers of His Word. Secondly, note, in the Corinthian church, there was envy and jealousy. Jealousy prevailed in the church. There are These are evils which take us unaware. Envy and jealousy. Then, too, could any of us say that we are utterly free of these God-debasing sins? I doubt that we could in truth. Cain was envious and jealous of Abel. King Saul was envious and jealous of David. And this sin of jealousy festered and festered in their heart until Cain killed his brother Abel. And King David, that great king of Israel, brethren, sent Bathsheba's husband unto the front line where he was to be killed. Then we might ask, was not Martha, did she not grow jealous of her sister Mary? Was it not in truth that she thought Mary was getting too much attention, wherein she wanted at least a great part of that attention? Then too, note with me, in the Corinthian church, there was strife, bickering among them. This is most unnatural. They were a New Testament church. And no doubt the greater, far greater part of them was blood-bought sheep. And it is unnatural to sheep, brethren, devouring one another. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, while they were envious and jealous and bickering, he said, Be sure that you, in your bickering, do not devour one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25, 26, and 27, we read, There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. This is an analogy between the body physical and between the body, the Lord's church, spiritual. Brethren, as with the physiological body, we are so interwoven, every member, one with another, 
that every member is depending upon every other member. And thus it is in the house of God. Thus it is in His body, the church. Every member is important. Every member, beloved, is dependent upon every other member to promote the church. And when one member hurts through sin, brethren, the whole church suffers. Note, division, disunity plague the church. The Lord says, Be ye of the same mind, be of one accord. Generally, the things which divide a church are of no great doctrinal import. For, for example, I have heard of churches being divided over who should play the piano, or even over what kind of flower should we buy a sick member who is hospitalized, and then, too, as to what color the carpet should be which the church is ready to install. But the division is just as destructive, no matter the origin, no matter the cause. Brother, it has... Whether it is of some great doctrine or not, it is exceedingly, exceedingly hurtful unto the church. Then too, note, the Corinthians became followers of men and factious. A faction were of Apollos, another of Cephas, that is Peter, another of Paul, and yet another of Christ. By the eye of imagination, I can see them in their little huddles, picking apart the other huddles. Time to start the service is synonymous with time to huddle and criticize. In verses 5 and 6, who then is Paul? This is in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Paul, Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God, but God gave the increase. Paul is saying, don't look to me, don't look to Apollos, don't look to Peter, but look up unto God. For whatever you are in him, it is he that has wrought it in you. He gave the increase. In spite of all their fault and failure, Paul said unto them, as I said at the very outset, you are a New Testament church. You are God's husbandry. Verse 9, chapter 3. Ye are God's building. Paul yet recognized them as one of the Lord's churches. Paul made a second visit to them. He did not write them off as a lost call, and much of their error was corrected. As I said earlier, they even brought before the church a fornicating member and excluded him from the membership. Thus it is. Every New Testament church, contemporary, should do the same thing with members which have stooped to such a law and that bring in, causing division within the church and bringing shame upon God who bought the church with his own blood. Paul says in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 3, to the Corinthian church, you are God's husbandry. Husbandry has not so much to do with marriage as it does with managing properly the resources which one has or which the marriage has. Every married man is not necessarily a husband, but for sure he should be. Husbandry in the Bible times had to do with farming, with agriculture, with the raising of stock, and a good yield manifested efficient husbandry. The Corinthian church had been giving a field to labor in and to manage properly for God. In order to be efficient, there must be unity of the body. The purpose must ever be in view, lest Satan get an advantage of us. And the purpose is to bring forth fruit unto God. And if we are divided, if jealousy and envy prevails, this fruit will be tainted at best. But Paul tells the Corinthian church, we are not ignorant of his devices, that is Satan. Beloved, don't ever say Satan made me do it, 
because inwardly we have that old nature which lusteth after the things of this world. And oft time, bless God that we would not, but we fall prey to it. Beloved, we know how the devil works, and he works through pride and love. 1 John 2, verse 16. It was through pride and love that the first sin entered into the human family. Satan told Eve, Eat of the forbidden fruit, and you will be God. She was enticed by pride and by love, and she lusted after the fruit. You know the rest of the very sad story. Eve was deceived by the devil, but it was through the lust of her own eyes that she fell, and pride and shame became her lot. I thank God, I thank God from the depths of my soul that I am a member of one of the Lord's blood-bought churches. For Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I would, O God, that thou mayest enable me to love your church, to serve you in, through, and by the church, that I may be a means in thy sovereign hand to edify your blood-bought church. May the Lord bless you and enrich your life. Amen.